Hello and welcome to the Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast. I am Michael Cayley. I don't know if you know about this last week. You might not, especially if like you're one of our like large minority of listeners who are not even in America, let alone not even in New York City, let alone not even in Brooklyn. But it was the Democratic primary in New York, and I cannot yet talk about this, but uh, I've been busy, and uh, we will be returning to this very soon on the podcast. I'm sure that you are all very excited to hear about, you know, whether we're going to meet a new boss in Brooklyn, but uh, that is still to be decided, and I can't really talk about it. So I am joined by Mike Goodman. Is everyone going to talk about soccer on our soccer podcast? I, I think that's okay. Mike, you got some soccer stuff? I do. I'm on vacation, so this is my only outlet for talking about soccer for the next couple of weeks. The music you heard on the way in is the Wellers. Please download, subscribe, make us happy as podcasters, patreon.com slash double pivot. If this is not a subscription podcast, the next one will be. I've lost all track of time. I spend my time on the beach these days. Yeah, I mean, we're recording on Sunday. Everything, everything <laughs> dogs and cats living together. So... Yeah, so what we were thinking about, we are sort of going through some topics, and we want to come back and revisit some of our earlier discussions. And I think that, like, a lot of the wingers that we talked about on the last pod are now, you know, sort of settling in. But they're not signed yet, and Barcelona is creating, like, incredible amounts of chaos. And we will also have to return to Barcelona at some point. Just to laugh, to make really. fun of them. <laughs> but what I am... We did a podcast on Chelsea, and it's all out the window, man. What are they doing? What is going on with Todd Bowley? Yeah, I like. I I pitched to one of my writers that I thought a a good piece would just be like, so like, what's Chelsea's whole deal? And the response I got was like, that would be a good piece, but uh, I don't know what Chelsea's whole deal is. Uh, like, I, we talked a bunch about how Todd Bowley runs the Dodgers, and he comes in, and he's got this very analytics frame of mind, and the Dodgers run themselves quite well. They spend a lot, but they spend smart. smart. They don't use analytics as a substitute for spending. They use it as a compliment to make sure they spend well, and so on and so forth, and blah, blah, and blah, blah. And, like, I that does not seem what's happening now at Chelsea yet. I mean, maybe it will one day once they get settled in and they get all their people in and, and, and all of this stuff. But what has happened is that they've cleaned out the Roman Abramovich front office completely. Um, Todd Bowley is, like, clearly in charge. And now they're just, like, flailing around after big-name transfers? Yeah, it's like, it, it seems that Bowley is not merely in charge. He's, like doing all of the work like yeah he's like making he's the calls <laughs> i mean i part of me thinks that sort of like in a in a you know like like power flows into a vacuum and it sort of seems like it's thomas tuchel and bully and, and and it's just sort of like bully walked in and like asked Tuchel what he wanted and is now determined to go out and get a bunch of players that that thomas tuchel wants and like there's a reason that you don't really want to run a team that way. Um, but there's also reason to believe that, like, that's not, that that's not necessarily how Chelsea's going to be forever, even if that's how Chelsea is right now. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there are stories about, like, uh, Bowley also trying to hire Michael Edwards, former Liverpool director of football. It seems quite likely that they're going to try to build a system here. But right now, they don't have one. And they are also apparently, like, exceptionally flush with cash. I, I mean, the, the Todd Bowley consortium has a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Todd Bowley can always just, like, spend some money. It's not like... <laughs> I mean, like, the the real question it raises is this. There's a world where this is just, like, sort of a weird window, because they, like, the, 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 the acquisition is weird, and it's fast, and you don't have a transition team in place, and you don't have your management team in place, and you just sort of, like... But you also can't take the window off for competitive reasons. Like, you feel like, th- this is a team, and we, this is, we have talked about this, that needs work. Even though they're, like maybe the third best team in the world somewhere between the third and the fifth best team in the world like in that range they're a team that that without work is going to recede on that list instead of proceed um so they need to do stuff so maybe it's just a weird window i mean there's also a world where it's like todd ball is like oh this is the sport where i don't need all of that discipline of baseball and everybody operates this way and like i get to like Take the shackles off and spend money and do fun stuff. And, like, that world is just probably going to see Chelsea get worse. Because you you have to have so much money to operate that way. Um, yeah. Because, like, in, in, in baseball, there are a bunch of not incredibly strict constraints. But, like, the, there are constraints on your spending. You end up having to pay this luxury tax. So the more money that you're spending, the more it costs you to spend that money. And on top of that, there are a whole bunch of restrictions in terms of the draft and talent acquisition. But even beyond that, culturally among Major League Baseball owners, you're not supposed to want to outspend everybody else. You're supposed to want to spend better within the constraints that they place upon themselves. Like, that's the whole thing that Major League Baseball has gotten to, and kind of why in baseball world, analytics are kind of a, a tool to restrict player salaries. Um, whereas soccer, the ownership, the, the relationship between owners is not the same it is not nearly as cartelized and if you are a guy who wants to spend a lot of money to win and the way you want to win is to spend more money than everybody else well there's a couple of nation states that are doing that anyway right like it is a part of soccer that you have teams who understand that the way that they win more is by spending more and that that is good and not just nations like like that's what real madrid does like it's just it's part of the culture of we are a big team we can spend more that is a good thing uh, and that doesn't I mean, it's, exist it's also what Bar- barcelona does it, it doesn't always work <laughs> yeah right i mean that's it's quite easy to quite easy you can blow yourself up um yeah. and and so i think at this point like with those questions, those are simply the open questions with Todd Bowley, and we will not have an answer to them in the exceptionally near term. Uh, what we do have in the near term is Chelsea just like careening around the transfer market. So they are now, it seems like they are possibly out on Kunde from Sevilla, whom in our last podcast on Chelsea, we're like, well, they're just going to sign Kunde and that's going to be a good fit. They're now going after Matias Delict from Juventus, um, which like seems fine. Um, they are still, as far as I know, not trying to get any midfielders. Uh, not only are they not trying to get any midfielders, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but it was at least rumored that Jorginho might, like, 
be going to Juventus as part of the Delict deal. Yeah, and they are continuing to look for forwards. They n- None of these deals have closed. They jumped into the Rafinha market with what appears to be uh, the best uh, offer on the table for Leeds, but Leeds are not selling, I think, in part. It seems like Rafinha is still waiting for, for Barcelona to like come the, up with it. Yeah, the, the dynamic seems pretty clear, and that's that, like, Rafinha just wants to go to Barcelona and like the personal terms there are agreed and are probably better, but we don't really know than what Chelsea are offering. And he just wants to go to Barcelona and like, we'll talk about Barcelona on some podcasts, but I I, I don't know how that's supposed to happen. Um, it, yeah, it well, I don't even know how the personal terms part is supposed to happen, but reportedly they're offering this transfer fee in installments and, I don't know that I would really take a promise from Barcelona to send me a bunch of money in the future. <laughs> well, in fact, Bayern Munich have said if you want Lewandowski from us, you have to pay the entire fee up front. Yeah. So, 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 but like, so they're targeting Rafinha. They are also clearly targeting uh, Raheem Sterling from City as well as Nathan Ake from City. Yeah. Um. They need. Center back, left center backy guys. Nathan Ake is a left center backy guy who they obviously have a relationship with because he's Chelsea's Nathan Ake. Uh, there are probably better players out there. I mean, it is it is a little bit weird for us to sit here and be like, "Well, Manchester City went and bought him from Bournemouth, and now Chelsea won him from Manchester City." And like, the just it's not just us. Like, the general consensus is meh. I mean, like he. Played very. City spent a ton of money on him. He played quite limited minutes. The issue with him at Bournemouth was it wasn't totally clear what his position was, and it never became clear at City what his position was. Right. And I will say this as long as you're at Manchester City, there's a possibility that Pep magically decides on a system that you fit in and then you play 20 games in a row. Like, Fabian Delph spent a year starting at left back after sitting on the bench for a year. These things happen with Pep Guardiola. But there's like there's nothing that says to me that Nathan Ake is going to like move to Chelsea if that were to happen and like nail down the left center back starting job or anything. Right. Like he he's a good possession passer, but like he's a little undersized for a center back and not like a really established high quality defender. Nor is he, like, athletic enough to just be a left back. Um, Yeah, definitely not. So, like, he could maybe be, like, he could maybe be a possession left back in some systems. He could kind of be a left center back in some systems. But, like, I don't know. I don't get it. And, And then, like, you know, and the other thing they've done, obviously, is that they have just, like, given away Lukaku. They're, they're, you know, they don't have to pay his salary, but basically they're still on the hook for the transfer fee and he gets to play for somebody else. Right. And, and they got a transfer fee, but not like a giant one. Yeah, it, it seems to mostly be making up for the, the wages that Just, Lukaku is giving up to, to enter. Yeah, right. It's, it is almost exactly the same amount of money. So in other words, Lukaku is taking a discount. Inter are paying the value of that discount to Chelsea. Yep. It's basically Lukaku paying his way out of Chelsea. 
Yeah. And and then they're like bringing in Sterling is the one part of this that makes a lot of sense to me. That like if you are planning to build around Kai Havertz, so you're planning on building around this weirdo center forward who passes really well, like having someone whose skill is as an outlet and as a shot getter in the penalty area to play off of him makes a ton of sense. Sterling is just like somewhat better at all the things that that they wanted Christian Pulisic to be doing in that role. Or Timo Werner, for that matter. And, and and I sort of think that Werner would be the guy that you look at and say, like, okay, you're probably going to move somewhere else. But I there hasn't been a ton of, of rumor about a possible move or destination for him. A little bit, like, with Juventus again, but it almost sort of just seemed like by default, kind of, because he, like, sort of seems like a Juventus transfer. And, like, Juve... Like... I, I don't know. I mean, they could probably use another attacker here at some point, so it's not, like, a totally weird fit. Um, but, and, and then, like, Ziyech is, 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 is rumored for AC Milan, which I think also makes an absolute ton of sense. But, like, there's, like, a, you know, there's clearly a reshuffling going on in, in, in the attacking group. Yeah, and I think that our sort of take on Chelsea all through the season is it just never fully made sense what they were attempting to do in attack. Right. Like, you know, the, the what they wanted uh, Lukaku they want- to do, but yeah. then even when Lukaku wasn't in, like there wasn't uh, there wasn't some other obvious idea being executed when he wasn't in. And certainly if you have Sterling and, and Havertz and whatever other forward you want, you know— you have a lot of possession and pressing. Yeah. And I think that like to some degree, that's like the main point for Tuchel is you've got lots of possession and pressing and the shots will come somehow. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, but I think we also were like of the opinion that the way Tuchel wants to play, the attack will probably be good enough no matter who you shuffle in or out. So it doesn't make like the fact that they've sort of settled here on Sterling and, Maybe Rafinha both as, as like the, the additions to the attacking core. And then we'll see Ziyash probably and then probably Werner, maybe Pulisic, you know, one other out in addition to Lukaku. It's just like, you can make arguments for why that makes sense, but I don't think it changes from our initial point, which was like, well, they've got a lot of talent in attack and not enough midfielders. Why are they focused on attack? Right. Cause you, it, not like unreasonable and all these players are reasonably good players but you are spent and they're not going to get large they're certainly not they they got nothing for Lukaku they're going to get probably just a little bit for Ziyech I doubt there's like a market for Timo Werner at all right now and you know Pulisic you know you probably get some money for him but not what they paid and so like I'm and then you're spending sure. all this- I'm honestly not sure about that given Given what the winger prices have been this window, but that's like a that that, that is a podcast in it in itself, right? Like it, it, the the question of of what these prices mean and whether this is a sort of standard level or whether there are going to be a bunch of bargains below that price point as we get toward the end of the window, I, I have no idea. Um, like they're spending a lot of money to, I don't think, really obviously make the attack that much better. <laughs> Right. They're just sort of like reshuffling it to be different. 
And then there's just this, like, keep... And, and, okay, so they are linked to defenders. Like, I think... Whatever I think of Ake, I think the fact that they're in for Delict, the fact that the Kunde thing maybe fell apart, but it's they have another target. Like, Kulabali is also, like, popping up here and there. Um, the fact that they are clearly trying to get defenders, like... It, it eases my mind. They're gonna get, like some combination of defenders are gonna come in, and there will be enough defenders who are pretty good to to make this work. I just like I keep staring at midfield and being like, "What is the like? Are you is the plan really Connor Gallagher and Prey via Con Gallagher? Like I don't, <laughs> I yeah. don't know." And, and, and like you know, last season, they only got eighteen hundred minutes out of Conte. Yeah, Kovacic. They only got sixteen hundred minutes out of Kovacic. Like these are not players you can count on for a full Premier League season of minutes. Connor Gallagher played a lot of minutes for 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 Crystal Palace, but like and you're like maybe, really leaning on him. Maybe we're going to see a change of system, and Mount's going to play in a midfield in a four three three. But then you're adding like another midfield like slot in there and that doesn't really make things better like you're still relying on three of Jorginho, Conte and Kovacic for like two slots right switching to a 4-3-3 doesn't solve the problem at all right. like right. playing Mason Mount in a two I guess but like at this point Mason Mount has developed into such a good attacker on the penalty area I don't think you would want to do that right no I mean I think that you could Playing Mount as the most attacking of three midfielders is probably Mount's best role. Um, can you then go in with Conte, Kovacic, Jorginho, and Gallagher for the other two slots? I guess. With, like, I don't know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek hanging around on the periphery? Like, I, I guess? But, like... And maybe that makes sense if if you look at it and you say they're bringing in Sterling and they're bringing in Rafinha, and then it's like okay we're playing Z, um we're we're playing Kai Havertz as our nine, and then the backup nine is is either Sterling or Werner slash Pulisic whoever's still there, and we have you know Sterling Pulisic Rafinha as the the wing rotation. I, I see it ish, but like. I don't know. Like, I, I don't expect a big change in system. Yeah, and be interesting to see what they do with uh, with Reese James right. as a full fullback. Right. That would also be a little like Reese James could do basically everything, but mm-hmm. sort of like freeing him up to be an attacker as the right wing back is like shows great results. Um. I have always been, like, a little bit, like, defensive midfielder curious with him. But, like, I think his attacking contributions have become so potent over the last 18 months that I have eased off on that because I think any position that doesn't let you get him into the attacking third by, you know, somehow, even as he's a very good possession passer, is not getting the most out of him. Um, I don't know. Yeah, and and, and his his defensive contributions have you know decline sort of just ball winning defensive contributions have declined while everything else has picked up and the the possession stuff has always been elite but he's just sort of developing more of his game there and like i just think that like what they're basically planning on doing it seems like is 
they are going to count on being able to somehow play some of those midfielders that, like, each of them has really been good for, like, a half a season a minute. I mean, I guess if and, you get 1,500 to 2,000 minutes of, of Champions League-level football of out of Conor Gallagher, that works. Uh, that's, like, but that's a real roll of the dice. I, th- I mean, I think you need more than that out of Gallagher to... to because this last season, they were, you know, it, they, they, they had a good season. There's nothing nothing bad about it. But, like, you know, I think the the ambition was to be somewhat better than that. And it was in great part because when they couldn't get the right midfielders on the pitch, they weren't as good. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you're, you're rolling the dice on having those crucial games come up and you can't bring out the guys that you want. And so then it really is, you know... Can Connor Gallagher come in and be a possession midfielder? A or B? Can Connor Gallagher come in and you pr- create a specialized role for him where he doesn't have to be? And it does not seem to me. And again, we're spending so much time tinkering with the attack that, like, what Chelsea needs is a guy who gets forward from midfield without the ball to score goals. Is, and that is the thing that makes Conor Gallagher, like, if you're going to make the case for why he's maybe one day an elite midfielder, it's he has this thing in his game that is quite rare and everything else can catch up to average or average plus levels, which is, like, not the real fit that Chelsea need right now. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, if they're playing this midfield three, Mason Mount is already... Right. Their midfielder who is doing stuff around the penalty area and he's just like better at all of it. And than... if you're playing this midfield two, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> like you're not, you have three attackers and two, two wingbacks who are, who are all attacking the penalty box. And like you can support at the edge of the penalty box, like at most. Yeah. And you know, we've, you know, we've talked about Gallagher a bunch and you know there have been players who have come through you know mason mount the most obvious one where like there were clear you know moderate deficiencies in their in in their possession game and those things improved and there were indicators you know he was on 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 set plays and stuff like that that it would happen but i i think that like one is that mount's possession numbers were always like okay they were never bad. And on top of that, like, Mason Mount's development has been exceptionally good. Right. Yeah. Not I, I, every young player who comes up and gets a bunch of minutes suddenly is a 10 and 10 guy at the age, tw- at age 22. Like, that's great development. He did that. But you, you don't count on that. So, so Gallagher is both, like, significantly behind in his possession game. And, you know, you don't know you're going to develop him that well right off the bat. Right. Mount's passing was, huh, that's light for a guy who's as good as the other things as he is. Gallagher's passing is, where's his passing? Like, it's it's non-existent. And not, like, effective passing. Like, any passing. Like, he is not ever on the ball as a midfielder. It's truly bizarre. Um, as opposed to, like, Mount, who you're like, oh, well, like... He's not really doing as much with the ball when he's on it as you would expect him to be for a few years. Um, I don't know. And, like, there's just a world where Chelsea are just, like, 
They get rid of Lukaku and they're like, oh yeah, we still have a very effective attacking unit. Let us spend our time on figuring out how to rebuild the the next generation of midfield. And they just, they aren't. And like, part of me is like, maybe like Tuchel just thinks that like he can midfield whisper a, a, a midfield. Because I look at his career and I look at like Julian Weigel at, 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 you know, right, like suddenly becoming a very good player and then unbecoming a very good player. I, you know, I look at PSG where he moved Marquinhos to the base of midfield in, in a, in a 4-3-3. You know, and I, like, I remember when he, when he first moved to Chelsea, I thought to myself, I wonder if Christensen's gonna like play in mid, like at the base of midfield some. Like, if that's a thing he might... And instead, Christensen just played some in the middle of a back three. And and Thiago Silva plays all the time in a midfield back three. Um, and it's, like, not super different than having a guy at the base of midfield. But so, like, I, I sort of wonder whether there's just, like... And maybe it's correct that Tuchel's like, well, yeah, I, I've got these players who are pretty good players floating around who are kind of midfielders. And I'll figure out how to get the minutes out of them to make it work. I don't know that that's going to happen, but like, <laughs> you know, if, if the, if there's a big power vacuum and it's boldly listening to Tuchel about what Tuchel thinks about his own skills and, you know, Tommy Tactics is like, yeah, I'll figure out the midfield. Like, that they're operating on the theory that he's going to figure out the midfield. <laughs> And he also seems to always think that there's a better attacker out there for him. Also true. And so instead of, you know, these players are are good and can fit together, you go out there and you get Rafinha, who is like, he's a good attacker. We talked we talk about it. He's a, he's a good attacker. He does a, a good amount of ball progression, gets a good number of shots, but it's not an elite number of shots. It is, you know, he's a good Winger, he's a good. I obviously, as, as we discussed, what we talk about a winger, we're talking about somebody cutting in to the penalty area and getting shots there. But he's like good at it. He'll be solid. Sterling has been has really been a, a pretty great forward the last couple of seasons, and should be an upgrade. But it just feels like a lot of money to not clearly move this team forward that much. Yeah, and I guess. The next thing we should do is talk about Manchester City. Yeah, and I think we'll do that on the next podcast. Cheers, y'all. Cheers.